Years ago, I was studying at Asbury Seminary, working on a Master's of Divinity, Divinity degree, and without fail, every Wednesday night, I went with four other brothers in Christ at 9 p.m. to a cave that was outside of town, off campus, actually across the Kentucky River and through the woods. We might have passed a no trespassing sign to enter into that sacred and holy place, and it did not matter if you had a test the next morning. At 8.45, they were going to come and get you out of the library so that you could go to the cave. This was well before any of us were aware of class meeting or band meeting, but we'd heard enough about our Wesleyan historic tradition. What did we do in that cave? We sat in five plastic chairs that we bought at Walmart for $5 each around a cinder block altar, if you will, that had a candle burning. That was our source of light. And we answered, how's it with your soul? What struggles and successes have you met with lately? What sins do you need to confess? We laughed and we cried together. We encouraged one another and prayed for each other. And after each one of us went, we blew that candle out. And I'm talking, you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. And we would sit in silence for as long as we could stand it. Sometimes 10 seconds, sometimes 10 minutes. Sometimes you're like thinking, is Fred, are you still there? And then one of us would bust that move and break out in. Come on. Ain't no party like the Holy Ghost party, cause a Holy Ghost party don't stop. Ain't no party like the Holy Ghost party, cause a Holy Ghost party can hear you. Ain't no party like the Holy Ghost party cause the Holy Ghost party don't stop. Say what? Ain't no party like the Holy Ghost party cause the Holy Ghost party don't stop. And then we might break into song. But that time of silence was where God spoke to us. All of our studies all of our reading, everything that the world was throwing at us as young students just settled and we could think clearly, maybe even hear more clearly what God had in store for each one of us. This morning, we continue in this series on deeper disciplines, and we've talked about fasting and about Sabbath rest, and today our focus is on solitude, and next week it's simplicity. And I know when it comes to fasting, we think, so hard. And when it comes to Sabbath, you might be like, ain't nobody got time for that. When it comes to silence, I think we are a little bit scared to be alone by ourselves, to be alone in our thoughts. And for some, I think the reason it's scary or frightening is because we've been lulled to sleep by all things culture. I need the newest and the shiniest, whatever it is. I need to put up the front that I'm living my best life now, no matter what's going on around me. 
or we're just distracted by binge watching whatever it is or being on social media. And just like in Genesis when the serpent was in their ear hole saying, God didn't say that, did he? I think whether it's self or Satan, we hear this voice that's telling us, you need that. You can't do that. Oh, don't worry, you're okay. And as we journey through these deeper disciplines, maybe God is waking us up. Maybe it's a little bit uncomfortable, just like in the cave, pitch black, and the light comes on, it's disorienting, and it hurts at first. But God is gracious enough to journey with us and walk us through that adjustment. Let's keep going. Let's go deeper. It's important for us to go deeper because we are sent. We gather as the people of God, then we scatter. Week in and week out, that's a part of our rhythm. We gather in Jesus' name and then we scatter just the same, not out of legalism, but out of love. And when our lives are lived in rhythm and in sync with God, it results in normal, natural outflow of being sent. Our awareness of God and his activity around us is heightened. We're sensitized to his move and we're able to be the faithful presence of love in all of the dark places that we go. And love has a name. It's Jesus. And you think about the darkness that's out there with senseless violence or racism or anything else that's in this world. There's no program that's going to fix this world that we live in. But the people of God, with the light of Christ, we are exactly what this world Needs. And so we're focusing on these deeper disciplines because they more deeply connect us to the heart of God and they heighten our awareness to his activity in this world. And this morning, our focus is on solitude, which really holds hands with silence. So I want us to define those two things, silence and solitude. The discipline of silence is escaping from noise and sounds and the discipline of solitude is being alone without human contact. Solitude is the practice of being absent from people and things to attend to God. And silence is the practice of quieting every inner and outer voice to be attentive to God. And we need to be alone with God. We need to be silent before him because there are countless things that vie and compete for our attention. We need to be alone with God so that we can listen and get to know his voice. Years ago, Dan Rather was interviewing Mother Teresa and he asked her, when you pray, Mother Teresa, what do you say to God? And she said, I don't say anything, I just listen. He thought that was interesting and so he asked, well, when you're listening to God, what does he say? He doesn't say anything either, he just listens. And he was so perplexed by that. He didn't quite get it and asked her to explain it. And she said, I can't explain it. You just have to experience it. But that's the goal for God's people, that we would be so comfortable in his presence, learning to hear his voice. And that leads us to the scripture that we read congregationally just a few minutes ago. It's referred to as the Shema. 
which is the central prayer and creed of the people of God, particularly back in Moses' day, the Hebrew people. That whole prayer gets its name from the very first Hebrew word of the scripture that we read, and that word is Shema, which means to hear or listen, and it really means to heed this word, take it to heart, take action. The Shema is the confession of God's unity, and it's the command to love God. And following that prayer, there is a list of ways the Shema is to be integrated into the daily living of God's people. These words are to be in your heart. They're to be in us as the people of God. Impress them upon your children. Talk about these words all the time. Write them on the doorframe of your house. Heed this word. Take it to heart. This confessional prayer is thought to be a summation of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. This word is a very common word throughout the Old Testament. That's because hearing is a universal activity. Everybody hears things and people, and it's possible to hear from God because ours is a God who speaks. And Shema is so much more than hearing. It's paying attention to, it's focusing on the word of God. And back when Moses spoke these words, they didn't have a Bible that was bound and printed. It was proclaimed, and they lived in such a settled state that they also heard the still small voice of God. Shema means to hear, and much more so it means respond to what you hear. So if you're reading through the Bible with us here at Marvin, we just came through the book of Exodus. And in Exodus 19, God consecrated the people of Israel saying, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations in the earth, you will be my treasured possession. And in that verse, the word for obey is Shema. If you obey me fully, in that verse, the word fully is also Shema. That word is repeated twice for emphasis. If you Shema, Shema, and keep my covenant of love, if you listen closely, pay attention, and respond as I lead, the weight of God's invitation is on us to listen and respond as he invites us into covenant. And our response leads to doing. It leads to obedience. Listening and obedience go hand in hand. In fact, in the Hebrew language, they are the same word. Listening and doing. You won't find another word that means obey. It's shema, listen and obey. Two sides of the same coin. One encyclopedia said, the word Shema demands that the hearer respond with his total being to the fact and demands of this essential revelation, the unity of God, the oneness, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, wasn't their concept in the Old Testament, it's ours, the unity of God, love for God with everything we have. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project said, to Shema means to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. Let's put it in New Testament terms. In the Gospels, whenever Jesus said, 
Let the one who has ears to hear, hear. He's saying, listen and obey. He's saying, Shema. If you are listening, if you're getting this, do what I'm calling you to do. And what does all of this have to do with Shema or with solitude? The Shema is the most important command in all of Scripture. Listen. Learn God's voice. Know it. Hear it so that you can respond out of complete trust with full obedience, which we see in the person and work of Jesus. This discipline of silence and solitude, it was practiced by him throughout the gospel. Here are three verses that just demonstrate that to us. Matthew 14, verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. Luke 5, verse 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places where he prayed. Then later in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, verse 4, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed. Jesus had ears to hear. He heard God's voice, and he responded even unto death. For some of us, the thought of silence is likened to death. But I could be quiet all day long. Ask Marcus Orley in. And the truth of the matter is, there's so much more to silence and solitude than just being quiet and not saying anything. The truth of the matter is, our desire for God, our capacity to connect with God, is what it means to really, truly be human, created in God's image. As we connect with God and learn his voice, we are experiencing his leadership. And then we learn how to respond in love, going as he leads, doing as he commands. And it's different for everybody, this response that we make, this response that he calls us to. For some of us, it's situational. For some of us, it's circumstantial. For some, it's rooted out of some experience we've had, whether joy or trauma. For others, it's wired into the fabric of our very being. For all of us, it's in accordance with God's word. God will never contradict himself. That still small voice will never be contrary to God's word. It'll be consistent with his character and his ways. And that response is an act of obedience. It's the fruit of our knowing God's voice, which is the goal of silence and solitude. Jesus invites us to pattern our way of living after his way of being so that we might experience more of God. And silence and solitude is one way we pattern our way of living after Jesus's way of being. Those things are foundational to spiritual life and health. Henry Nouwen said, without solitude, it is impossible to live a spiritual life. But we're not all Henry Nouwen, and we're not all Mother Teresa. And so I've asked Robert Hand to come, someone that we know, someone that I know experiences silence and solitude, and I've given him a few questions just so we 
have a feel from him for what silence and solitude looks like. Robert's been a member here at Marvin for almost a year, been coming to Marvin and CORE for almost two years, year and a half, something like that. And he has been teaching a class for us on Wednesday night that is bursting at the seams, and I highly recommend History of Christianity this, this semester. Last semester, it was Biblical Theology for Christian Living. And so, how have you experienced Solitude. How do you solitude? Uh, well, as a, a caveat, I'd say that for me personally, um, I require a little more solitude than most people do. So it's a, a little bit different for everybody. Um, but personally, um, I try to to be intentional about creating space for solitude daily, uh, weekly, and monthly. And I, I appreciate the the verse that you put up there earlier about. Um, Jesus often withdrawing, but the the last one I think that you that you put up there was that there was a circumstance where Jesus only withdrew a stone's throw away from the situation, and sometimes, and this is what it looks like for me on a daily basis. Um, sometimes um, I, I try to take, or, or every day I try to take 10, 15 minutes at least. Um, we we often have a way of of sort of sacralizing the morning time and we have to fit it in. There's something super holy about the morning. I got to fit it in before my day starts. Well, I I stopped holding myself to that expectation many years ago. And I believe that this is God's world. This is God's time. And if it's 2.15 in the afternoon when the markets are open and I need 10 or 15 minutes to pray and to reflect and be quiet, then I'll withdraw a stone's throw away. Weekly, I try to to get at least a few hours to myself, um, and then monthly, I don't always get this, but monthly, I try to get a whole day uh, to myself uh, just to listen, be still, be quiet. What are the benefits of of that experience with solitude? Uh, benefits for me, um, uh, the first word that comes to mind is just reorientation. Um, I think that we all, um, maybe even increasingly in in recent years. Uh, the world is changing so fast. Um, we can't rely on the world to be the same a month from now as it was a month ago. Sometimes it changes by the day. And so um, if nothing else, it's good to reorient and recall what is permanent and what's not. How about challenges? Challenges for me personally, and I recognize that this is not a challenge for everybody, uh, the stage of life that my family is in. Uh, middle school, high school, uh, both parents working. Um, it can be it's something that you have to fight for. And uh, John Mark Comer, um, he calls these little acts of spiritual warfare. And sometimes just getting 10 minutes, 15 minutes away uh, at this stage of life is difficult. But um, the main challenge that I think uh, that I face, and I think that all of us face post-2020, are discerning the differences between solitude and isolation. Solitude and loneliness. Um, And that's something that I think going forward in the decades ahead that we're going to continue to struggle with because we've we've become conditioned and habituated and and in some cases even mandated to be alone. And we know from the Genesis account of creation that it's not good to be alone. And so learning the difference between solitude and isolation, that's important. How does God meet you in those times? However he wants to. (laughs) 
Um, I, I try to, uh, the point during these times is, is um, during most days, I, I spend a lot of my time trying to exercise control over my world. But again, this is God's time and this is God's world. And so during these times, whether that's 10 minutes outside my office building or a whole day uh, fishing on a river, um, I try to, to make this um, about me being available and listening and um, going from there. And how have you experienced hearing God and then responding in obedience? I can think of uh, several specific ways, uh, but, um, but generally, and this is gonna sound kind of strange, uh, but the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that question is a phrase from St. Augustine, a sermon that St. Augustine gave in the fifth century on Easter. And the phrase was, love God and then do as you please. And that doesn't mean, of course, that you do whatever you want, but the idea is that if you are truly listening and quiet and walking in love with God, and love takes time, love moves at a slow pace, um, that if you are truly walking and loving God, then whatever you do will be done from that place. That's awesome. Thank you. God bless you. Give me a hug. Love you. So these cards on solitude have best practices and tips. They were inserted into the bulletin. On the bottom is a reference that these largely came out of Ruth Haley Barton, her book, is referenced there, and she said in that book that ours is a very busy, wordy, heady faith. And our lives are just lived at a constant rate of speed, things so fast coming our way, distractions, etc. Our lives are like a jar full of river water shaken. It's murky and impossible to see, and if we would set it down and just let that sediment settle, we would see so much more clearly. We would hear God so much more clearly. And that's what silence and solitude is. And that's what these best practices are for. I don't want to go over all of them, but I want to go over just a few of them that are meaningful and important to me. I think it's important to find a space and a time. And it's liberating to know it doesn't have to be every morning, but sometimes it is the chair in our living room very early in the morning. Sometimes it's walking through, pacing, I'll set the timer on this and just walk the sanctuary during the day. And if I'm lucky, Jonathan Story's playing, practicing the organ like he does every day. This church is open five days a week. Come experience some of these sacred spaces. But maybe the best place of solitude for me, sacred, is my truck. And I'm not listening to anything, and I don't have anybody with me, and it's just silence. It's golden for me. Starting with a modest goal, none of us, none of us are going to go from zero to 60. And so maybe it's 30 seconds. Maybe it's two minutes. Maybe it's 10, like Robert. But start with 30 seconds and give that a try. If you've ever taken emotionally healthy spirituality or relationships, you know we practice two minutes before and after an exercise in that class. And that's why we give time for silence here so that we can get familiar with being still and centered. And then the, sec the last thing I would say is 
to land on a breath prayer for you that can help bring you back if distractions arise. And maybe that's as simple as, come Holy Spirit. For me, sometimes I will often pray, Jesus, now. Jesus, now. Last night when I'm awake at 3.14 a.m., try to breathe to that rhythm. And that comes from Brennan Manning who said, pray in the temple of nowhere. One word made up of two. Now, here. Jesus, now. So I want to challenge you to take a step in this discipline of solitude, trying these best practices on and seeing how they fit. And I know that for most of us, Solitude, time, it's ridiculous to think we're going to get time. And if you can't give that kind of time, again, know that we are resting in the one who did, Jesus. We saw how he practiced just a stone's throw away. And we don't have to do these things to earn his grace, to earn his love. He just loves you. He sees you. He knows you. You know that Jesus stepped down out of heaven when the time was right. He lived, and as he lived, he taught, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He lived and died and was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven. And when he did, because he did, he went from being someone on the outside of us to the one who lives inside of those who claim his name and received this gift by repentance, not earning it, salvation. Rest in his love, the God who sees you, the God who knows you, because as we rest in him and something inside of us is awakened, that's his spirit. And his spirit lives inside of you and lives inside of you and lives inside of me, and we are the body of Christ. We are the ones who are experiencing radical awakening, revolutionizing the world. And that's what we're called to do, to be faithful in our hearing, and in our responding to God as he leads. In just a second, we're gonna have communion. And I want us to pause for a moment of silence before we experience the beauty of that sacrament. Would you pray with me?